Hey, what's up, Protect the Nest fans? I know New Orleans, if you're into basketball, you're probably a sports fan into football, too, with the Saints, and even got your favorite college team. And that's that's right around the corner. Fall college football is about to be here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new players in the game with $200 in free bets instantly if you bet $1 or more on any college football game. So take, take advantage of this limited time offer now. It won't be around forever, but you heard right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of a dollar or more on any college football game. Look, it's safe, secure, reliable. DraftKings Sportsbook is located here in the U.S., so it's easy to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So, again, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place $1 bet on any college football game that's promo code tbpn to get your free two hundred dollars in free bets instantly for a limited time only at DraftKings sportsbook must be 21 years or older new jersey indiana or pennsylvania only new customers only restrictions apply see draftkings.com sportsbook for details gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or an indiana 1-800-9 with it Hey Pelicans fans, welcome back to the Protect the podcast. You know there's no in-between here, bringing you just the raw footage, the raw thoughts off the top of the dome for some days. Other days we got coaching series and interviews. Today, I mean, there's no in-between with our summer league team. they 4-0. and I don't know if all the starters should or even would play coming tomorrow on Tuesday for this game against Minnesota. But for this week, I'm bringing you something special. It's a conversation with Roger Gallo. Roger Gallo's shot-making methods. He does a lot of things looking at the offensive side of the ball in, in, in hoops. And he's trying to uh, really build a brand for himself, and we're really glad to have him on today. So what follows next is a conversation with Roger Gallo. We hope he's going to bring some insights into the Pelicans and just ways ways that we can watch these next few games going into the preseason. And maybe maybe we learn something else to look at. Maybe something that, uh, not to spoil it, but I think there might be some – some things that show that Kyra Lewis Jr. is a great offensive spark plug and has a lot of great great things coming for him, but he's really got to learn to play defense, and that's that's the case for our whole team. But we'll get to the summer league stuff in a bit. I hope y'all enjoy this conversation with Roger Gallo. Could you could you give me some background? Like I've went to the the website, the Gallo Shooting Method and stuff, but give me some background. Like when you first fell in love with the game. Oh, well, that's exactly what happened. I I was in Indiana, and oh God. Doug, I need to say any more about how, how can you not be affected maybe that way, and I was. I made my first switch when I was a fourth grader, probably unintendedly. You know, I just heaved the ball up and it went in. But I was in Indiana, hoop fever, right? Uh, when I saw that thing go swish and, and move that net, like flip that net the way it does and make no sound except thwack when it hit the floor. I thought, geez, I want to, I want to do this. And I felt literally that became my, my love affair. Um, went to school, got involved in fourth grade, got right out, went right out for the team. Um, fourth grade, they had one. Went there, became a starter because I worked. I, I was so motivated. I started working practicing to become a good ball player and I had um, 
and in that fifth grade, and then it took me through. I got better and better and practiced all by myself. I was a, a kind of a loner, so I, I didn't need it. All you need is that ball, right? The ball, basket, you. So I went out there, practiced, and kept practicing, got better, went to high school, moved up to Western PA, which back in the day, in that time, Western PA was one of the five hot hotbeds for, uh, gotcha, at one time, football and basketball, believe it or not. And I became even a uh, alternate for the what was then the famous uh, Pittsburgh Dapper Dan All-Star Game, which was like the but McDonald's game, more or less. And that was an interesting concept. It was. Are you familiar with it at all? I don't want to bore you with this, but uh, oh no, no, I'm very familiar with like the Pennsylvania Ohio uh, football rivalries that go back for their All Star games. Right. The basketball that would be coming out of PA is, you know, would rival that of of Massachusetts, the DC area. They've got some oh, hotbeds yeah. worth of talent right. in the in that PA area. Sonny Vaccaro started the Dapper Dan game that the best from the state of Pennsylvania against the best from all over the country. Imagine that concept back then. And Sonny Vaccaro, of course, referred to as the Don of basketball, but in some circles. Anyway, uh, we could pretty honestly heavy. I Chuck, Chuck uh, Daly, Pete Carrill, uh, Tim Gergrich. I don't know if you know all those names, but those guys recruited me to play mid-major basketball I'm six feet short so I, I obviously by that I became quite a shooter and scorer I was, went on to a small, went to a small college and dominated um, right but uh, you dominated you were the third leading scorer in the country I mean we had George Brock down here at, at Southern yes. University he led the country at, you know scoring for NAIA that you still got to get that ball on that bucket that's still an accomplishment sir you know and I didn't question anything that I was taught trained, learned, read, uh, anything anybody could do to help me try to become better at doing that, I was all in. And that served me pretty daggone well, by the way. What was conventionally, traditionally taught. Uh, actually, there was a player out of uh, Indiana, went to Purdue by the name of Rick Mount. This is dating me, but Rick Mount, who had a, a textbook shot they used to refer to it as. So I patterned my shot after him. And uh, it worked. And it was fast forward, well, I became an NBA prospect because it worked that well, uh, despite my height challenge. And uh, that was with the Supersonics, which I, I is the OKC team now, right? OKC, uh, yep. yeah, Oklahoma. Anyway, I didn't play, didn't make good decisions as a youngster. Uh, got stepped completely away from ball completely away from it for probably just 15, 20 years. And then I started questioning because I started getting glimpses of these articles, New York Times, Wall Street Journal about shooting and the woes, the Olympic performances or underperformances in shooting against foreign countries. We used to be the preeminent power when it came to basketball, right? And here we are struggling against foreign teams. Um, would you so would you I say start, that's because we got away from the fundamentals, so to speak? Do you do you give well, any credence to that argument? Yeah, I would I would absolutely say that. And, and then we began, and I mean the basketball community began really seeking not so much pure basketball trained players or skilled players, but more of an athletically um, 
athletically talented player, you know, uh, superior in quickness, verticality, uh, lateral movement, wingspan became important. All these other elements that were focused on more than the pure fundamentally sound skill sets that our pred- that some of the pre- their predecessors had developed. So that kind of changed the level of play of that pure basket, fundamentally sound pure ball. Uh, anyway, I started revisiting. Why? Wait, these guys can't shoot New York Times article. I'll never forget it. First one opened my eyes because I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm old school. I'm being harsh. I'm being unfairly judgmental of these talented, taller, gifted players who are being what they've got specialists for their core development, nutritionists. They've got training that is uh, light years ahead of what we were allowed to, to do and, 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 and train with. Uh, the knowledge wasn't even there on, on nutrition, yoga, all these advancements, except shooting was failing them. New York Times article, big black bold, New York font style, uh, 50 years of practice, no results. Chris, no results. That's what the article was all about. And then they interviewed professors from Columbia University. Why? How can that be? Can you explain this? And the one thing that they came to in conclusion was there was no innovation. And I thought to myself, wait a second. Now, I had begun this journey. I'm a couple of years into it questioning why was I so good. And the journey was sucking me in, and I couldn't get answers from anybody inside of basketball other than, well, you know, tonight we were hot. The rim was as big as the ocean. We couldn't miss. The night we're off, it was, well, you know, everybody has those nights. They're flipping answers. So being in Philadelphia at that time, Chris, I was I started going into the universities and seeking out professors of physics, anatomy, kinesiology, because I had started stumbling upon what I thought were just little discoveries about, you know, should, should I have goosenecked the ball the way I was taught to gooseneck the ball? Should I have placed my hand on the ball the way I was told that you needed to to become good at shooting? Uh, and there are universally certain ways to do things in basketball when you, when it comes to shot shooting. And and I bought into a hook, line, and sinker, never questioned it. Now I'm starting to question it. And the professors are almost making fun of it when I'm saying, well, you know, in basketball, this is what we're taught. Really? You know, that happens to be the weakest part of the body. And you're putting that much emphasis on that part of the shot? That doesn't make sense. Why, why wouldn't you want to shift that? And it, I started listening and, and, and kind of eliminating my biases because of what I've been taught and bought into. And they opened my eyes. And that began a, I got a 14-year journey that I'm still on, I think. <laughs> and and uh, I began questioning everything. Why do we stand where we stand at the foul line? Why do we jump the way we jump? Why do we approach, come into our shot the way we're instructed, come into our shot? And is it, was it, were, was any of that the best way to do it? Right. So it, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Interrupt. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was thinking it's more of a complete and total breakdown where a lot of these players they are dancing with what brought them there. You know, Lonzo Ball to go for the Pelicans, Giannis. Uh, even I mean, these guys learn to shoot on a ten foot rim when they're ten feet, you know, ten inches tall. They don't change. They don't change that form any, and they're usually using the worst parts of their body. And then you look at someone like Shaq, who constantly tried to improve his free throw percentage, but just couldn't do it in a game. 
So players get stuck with, well, if I'm going to make it or miss it, I'm going to do it my way, and they don't want to break down their shot and remake it in the way that you've been doing for players, the way Fred Vincent's done for players here in the Pelicans. Talk about, uh, since I interrupted you, I'll let you keep going. Talk about how you went to physicist and did a full breakdown on on the, on the shot, the basketball shot. Well, I, I went to them, and, and I went to them with some of those discoveries that I wasn't sure at the time were really discoveries. They were like accidental discoveries. And, and I'm, I'm I'm, I'm even going so far as to litmus test them before I go to talk to these people. And I'm trying to construct, you know, what? how do I even begin a conversation with somebody in academia about this and, and suggest to them that I, I'm almost of the belief that the, the, the misses that I'm experiencing with some of these newly, I mean, brand new uh, changes in movements are showing me, me some promise, enough promise, that I'm wondering how it could be. How could they prove to be that much more promising than what I had mastered for decades, having practiced uh, literally probably a million, well, I calculate about a million and a quarter, a million and a half shots in repetitions just to get that good. And they would, they would pull down a book show me the anatomy, the skeletal part of the arm, the leg, the body. The kinesiologist would talk about movements, what precipitates, what control. That that gooseneck, hey, here's a shocker. That gooseneck we put so much emphasis on isn't needed. Hmm. And I was told my whole life, you got to do that to get rotation, as were most basketball players. And you never questioned it. What they're telling me, they're telling me what I've actually discovered. One of the discoveries was the ball has already left my hand before the gooseneck happens, and the rotation has already been imparted. And if it's as they're telling me, the weakest, most finicky, unreliable part of your shooting system, why would you want to add? responsibility why would you want to put that much emphasis on it why wouldn't you want to change it if you could shift it to other more stabilizing parts of your body which is hard to argue would you agree oh no it's very hard to argue i'm more thinking how would you now apply that to to help someone you know improve their shooting you you get them to buy into that logic and that logic is supported by not just well um chris chris dodson does it so and he's a good shooter so you should do it. No, the logic now is, well, there's only three bones from your shoulder joint all the way down to that wrist. And they're very large. And they're very strong. And they're not connected by hundreds of ligaments like those bones in your hand. I'm not, I'm get, I am don't want to get too sophisticated or too complex in this, but, whoa, wait, there's only three? There's 26 in the hands? And, there's all, and they're all different lengths? And they're all different strength levels, and they're wow. I, I, now I'm starting to understand why. If I stop doing that, start doing this movement, my stability, my reliability, my accuracy is all impacted, or, or yeah, impacted in a positive way. Why not do it? Why not figure out how to take advantage of that? Uh, that's supported by science, and make it work for you in basketball if it can be done. And I, I. I have proven, having trained 
player after player after player of all levels, both sexes, that it can be done, and it can be done pretty darn quickly. Right, and you've worked with some big players. I mean, I've seen TNT Maddox from the Globe Trotters. You've got you know people from the 76ers, the GM, as praised you. Brad Wanamaker from the Celtics, Kyle Anderson of the Grizzlies, uh, the some some guys that played for the Argentina national team, and then also the Duke University women's athletic staff uh, has put some stuff up for you. And so that's great to hear that this method works for not to say the anatomies are too different, but it is two different anatomies, two different shooting strokes. Just I think on strength and the fact that the three point lines are different different levels, maybe that comes into it. I don't know the math and physics behind that, but do you find you have to find a, a find a different approach depending on the player and and their their lot in life? You know, the only approach differences I have to find is when uh, because the buy-in is important at any level, and as the players get older and more entrenched, Chris in their their system, whatever habits, whether they're shooting like a Alonzo Ball or a Sean Marion or, or, or a Shaq that you had mentioned earlier, each one of them have, they possess different challenges within their own system. And, and, and that's because they're all allowed, we've all heard that, well, you know, everybody's different, but you're going to find a lot of different shooting styles. That That's right, you are. And, and because shot making is the most precision required skill set should we should we accept that that might that that thought that kind of thinking right out of the gate or should we be a little more firm on what well, there are some movements or fundamentals new fundamentals i call them that need to be incorporated no matter what body type, what body size, if you want to become a more accurate, consistent shooter. And and that's based, those changes or funda- new fundamentals are based in the principles of those sciences. Where, and, and one of the biggest discoveries, uh, to, to more accurately uh, kind of address your question, the, there are tweaks there are tweaks that I can make with somebody's existing shooting system where the progress can be extremely fast. They may not be optimized, but they'll be hot. They'll be more, uh, more accurate, more consistent. They may not just be in a position because of the other challenges within their shooting style that will prevent them from even ever becoming optimally good if that makes sense oh definitely 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 makes sense because uh, they don't want to relinquish them you know like you said some guys don't want to you know rick berry big advocate of the two-handed underhand shot right it's a foul line right well, and that, he, he set records doing it. macho you know that doesn't for some and that's some arguments against that that i've heard people say that doesn't look macho i wouldn't do that because it's it's not me Right, it would be hard for me to see Zion shooting underhanded free throws. <laughs> yeah. But I'm guessing, it, like they've, I've seen some of the work they've done with Zion and Lonzo when he was here, and a few of the other players. Uh, the ball sometimes always comes out of the hand a little different. You know, the arc on it. You know, people have different floaters and arc games. But to me, it seems like everybody starts with the footwork and make sure the foundation is basically the same. 
Well, you know, be squared up, be pointing towards the basket, that sort of stuff. You can't be staggered and off balance for every shot and still expect to go Kobe for a game. Well, now now you're getting into a, I think, well, now I'm convinced of it, some areas that are either misunderstood or misconveyed. And I was, I, I was a part of that. My, my upbringing didn't, I didn't question it. When someone said, look at him at the foul line, no wonder he's a good foul shooter. Look how square he is. And the reality was, now, now knowing what I know, I've become a pseudoscientist. Knowing what, and I, I, I didn't even like science in school, but I've become a pseudoscience because of the value it brings to this sport, this beautiful sport of basketball. Especially what seems to be right now, the, the, the area that is being focused on more than any time in the history of the game putting that ball into that hoop from way out there would you agree oh yeah definitely i would agree that three-pointer versus any field goal and and what i'm getting at is um that we may that you're you're squared but are you entirely squared or is it the ball in the head and in many cases is the ball in the head that might really be squared. And in some cases, it might just be the head. It might be a right foot, if they're right hand, being squared, meaning being pointed directly straight. There's some players that, who tweak their toe, kind of, you know, we call it pigeon-toeing their toe, a little bit leftward or rightward, depending on left hand or right hand. Well, then that's not really squared now, is it? No, and, and I'm, thinking of, I'm thinking of a few shots up. for Curry where, I mean – it looks like he's almost doing one of those roadside sobriety tests because he's got his right foot directly in front of his left foot, and he's 40 feet out at the logo. But, I mean, yeah. if it drops, it drops. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a great uh, – you just painted a picture in my mind's eye very clearly. Um, and, and, unfortunately, I'm watching 12-year-olds try to do it that way. And, obviously, they're not – that's not a good thing for them to pick up on that early in the process of development, like you said. These are kids that they're, they're trying to go up to a 10-foot hoop and, and they're two feet tall and they're launching it from 20 feet out and, and the ball is as big as half their body and they're trying to mimic Seth Curry because they saw him on TV doing it successfully. Right, I think that's why Lonzo shoots from the wrong side of his head and I also think that's why, like Ben Simmons, you know, he was forced to shoot with his opposite hand, but once it becomes so strong, he, he just stuck with it. Right. But it, it only got so strong because they were trying to push a ball up to a hoop from way further out than they should have ever been shooting. And, and Chris, to your point, one, one, of the, um, one of the revelations in this journey was that source of power that Steph has tapped into. That source, what is that? He's, I was taught to shoot, as most shooters, uh, you reach your apex and you release at that precise moment. You try to elevate and release. But when you're six feet short in the game of ball, you want to elevate as well as you can, as high as you can, and then release. But is there some advantage to releasing even earlier in terms of being quicker? Yeah, there really are. And Steph Curry does that. Uh, um, The bearded one, James Harden. He, he doesn't elevate real high, and he releases earlier than, the, than, 
than some of those players who elevate to 15 more inches upward and then release. So he's shooting quicker earlier, which is a, if you can get good at doing that, you've got another advantage on that against that defender who might be a little bit taller, might be a little longer, but you know when you're pulling the trigger and they don't. And that's a key advantage when you become an earlier shooter. And where you're giving that defender less opportunity to adjust or to read it and to react. Right, and you it seems like Curry play. and Harden, both of them, they're not, they're more under control when they shoot. They're not shooting yes. with their legs and, you know, trying to release it at the highest point. You've got all that's that right. momentum and force going up with the ball, and that's where you see people shooting it long, going off the backboard before it hits the rim. They're way under, they're, they're more under control, it seems like. There's less force coming from them jumping into a shot than just taking a shot. You see a lot of a lot of guys, they'll either have no legs under the shot or they'll have so much leg that they can't really control <laughs> it at the right. end. Uh, do you find yeah. that to be the case, some? I do. I find that, and that, that's, this shot making and consistency uh, comes down in simplistic terms a lot of times to varia- variables. And what I've determined uh, to be pretty common amongst most basketball shooters at the medium to higher levels of both with females or males i've identified approximately 57 universal universally present variables 57 that's quite a few that's Um, hard to hit in one practice and if i can if i can reduce that number to 47 i'm probably adding some efficiency somewhere by default if nothing else i'm probably adding to your consistency level to some degree uh and i'm probably making it easier for you to become better at incorporating those movements with fewer variabilities than not doing it which does that make sense over through this group Oh, no, it definitely makes sense. It's making it a more streamlined process. The less moving exactly. parts, the better. And, and, and James Harden, Steph Curry has done that to some degree. Uh, the analogy I love, since I wandered into a Tesla dealership with my wife, who wanted to check that car out, and I was, I was a little bit against it, until I walked in and I saw and experienced the real differences that exist between a Tesla and any gasoline-powered automobile. And it came down to, what it netted out to was, after the, the salesman and the dealer explained how it works and how few components there are, components, variables, same thing. This car has 17 components. Your car has thousands. <laughs> any of which can break down or fail you right right is, you went to right? vehicles i was thinking more of the uh the old cds than the mp3 players the cd players you couldn't take a jog with them because there's so many moving parts and it would skip yeah, on you great, you moved to mp3 one. and it was clear clear listening another great analogy so all this has been cleaned up and that's i've when I say I've litmus tested this, I've, I've brought out boxing gloves, I've handcuffed myself to test the validity of what I was discovering and what the scientists were helping me to understand and take full advantage of. And when I started, that test started, the, the tests I tried to 
to convince me I, I was wrong. I mean, the litmus test just, to, you know, in my mind was, this can't be. This can't be. I know what I put into this shot that I developed, you know, growing up, the traditional shot, how much effort and time and hours and sweat and tears and everything else that goes with it. I don't want to believe that it could be this much easier, this much faster, this much more effective after having experienced that that way. Why? Why didn't somebody else who had been a shooting coach for four decades or three decades or discover some of this stuff? And having spoken to some of those people, I've come to realize that everyone I spoke to, they never wandered beyond what they were comfortable with. And that's not said in judgment. That's just said as understanding that they never wandered beyond. They never went outside of that comfort zone that they had created. Well, you're talking to, to a fella that is telling you, I've abandoned every single element of my shooting system, that traditional shooting system that I once had apparently mastered pretty darn well. Yeah, I mean, you were, dropping, you were dropping 40 and 50 in college games. You had to have mastered it a little bit. <laughs> Thank you for highlighting that. <laughs> yeah, a long, a, a, a long ago memory, but yes, yes, and without a three ball, <laughs> which, which uh, I, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer should be the percentages in three point shooting will escalate. Uh, Damien, I, I mean Damien Lillard, what he tells his his big guy to set a pick for me at the at, at the mid court line, half court, set a pick for me. Why does he want to pick the half court? Because <laughs> he's gonna, he's starting to look and look for a shot. He's starting to look for his shot, <laughs> one dribble in past half court. Because and it, it goes back to the point you were highlighting. He's pushing. He's using the push power, the the thrust created from pushing off that floor, going into his shot, so he can shoot thirty five feet, forty feet out. And make it look effortless, like somebody else taking a twenty footer. Right, he makes it look in a way that no no coach is going to tell him not to take that shot, and that's a, that's a big telling marker for any basketball team and players. Will the coach let you keep taking that shot? And Dame Dame has developed his game in a way that if he's at the logo, he's got the green light. Yeah, he's got the green light. And and Damian, since we're on that subject, and and this applies to ninety. Uh, conservatively, I'll say ninety percent of basketball players, and I was guilty. I, I was that guy. I was included in that ninety percent, Chris. I, in summary, what in essence, what this journey has exposed me to, is that we literally were trained and are continuing to be trained for all intents and purposes to shoot with half of our body, half of our body. What Gatolo has done was figured out with the help of many others in the sciences, not the basketball community. They're 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 in disbelief. They're, I'm having a, I mean, very frankly, I'm having a lot of challenges, which which I, I don't mind because I expected them, and, and they make me become even better for the next one that I'm about to, to interact with, whomever that may be. But I'm trying to say. What if we incorporated the other half to help us to 
outperform this this part of the game. If I could incorporate only 10% of it, would the expectation be that it would be a benefit to you? What if I could do 20% of it or 30% of it? Well, what if I could do the whole other half? And now this far into the journey, that's what I'm capable of doing. And and I'm, I'm not saying that in a braggadocious kind of way. I'm saying that in that, wow, this, this could conceivably become the next way to shoot for the next 50, 60 years. This existing system that I owned, had owned at one time, uh, has been around a very long time. But there hasn't been any, like this Columbian University professor, no real innovation in how we shoot. And right. top shooting remained constant around that 70% level for college for 50 years, 60 years. Wow. Well, a lot of the innovation, a lot of the innovation in any industry comes from specialization. And back in the day when you were growing up, you might have had one coach at the high schools doing three sports. They had college coaches teaching multiple <laughs> sports. And now you've got specialized, you know, you've got some college coaches or programs that have two shooting doctors or three quarterbacks coach and a special analyst. And they're going to be more, we did not reach an end game with basketball or any sport as long as we keep specializing it innovating it bringing in new ideas so i think there's there's got to be some open-mindedness for this uh shooting idea uh the shooting program because there's no way we've reached the end game of how to shoot a basketball there's just too many different too many different personalities body types ways to get out there and we've got seven footers taking the same shot as people that were 510 that that you couldn't have saw that 20 years ago so there's no way we're at the end game here and I'm glad to hear that you've come to that that conclusion. And I hope I hope a lot of people out there listen and hear that clearly because that's that's my hope that there are enough open minds out there to accept some new new information, some new knowledge, um, and, and, and if nothing else, begin to you know, consider to be provocative enough to get you to start questioning. Yeah, why why do we? set up our five shot this way is that the best way you know, it, in, business, in the business world we have a best practices approach and the science says they have a best practices approach sometimes and that has served them pretty well but we don't we don't have that basketball and we, we maybe we should maybe we need more of that Right. I think some more of them open minds are going to come with more with the specialization innovation and just more coaches being involved I, that's just you know if you grow the grow the pulpit you're gonna eventually find a new pope and that's right. that's how this this three point revolution has been they open up the pulpit to all these players like the Currys and the Dames that frankly are more relatable for most of the population just based on height alone you say well if right. he's that's my right. height and he can hit that shot all I have to really do is work on the shot and we both know there's way more to it than that like Drew Holiday's legs is bigger than my whole torso. There's a reason KD can't back him down, but he can still hit that shot. Yeah, I love the way you've said that because I, when I'm training somebody, and, and, and me being of the stature that I am, being challenged height-wise, um, I love saying this to them. The one, the one skill set in basketball right now that is being so emphasized and so valued more than any time in, in my lifetime is shot making 
And, and the good news is, Chris, to your point, there's, there's no height requirement necessary. There's no strength requirement necessary. There's no wingspan necessary, prerequisite of any sort. You just need to be able to handle enough to break down your primary defender out there. There's usually only one. The next closest guy, that part, that's why spacing is such a commodity, right? At every level now, <laughs> every level of spacing. Let's create spacing. Why? Because the next help guy is 20 feet west of you. 20 feet east of you. So if you can get that little opening out there against your only defender and you're that good a shooter, pull up and take it. Pull up and take it. Now, we expect you to make it. And and because it's only one guy, isn't it really... Why shouldn't it be a much higher percentage? Are you really taking a contested, a truly contested three-point shot? And and you mentioned the word coaches. Are coaches going to let you take very many contested three-point shots? <laughs> Probably not. That's not a good shot. No, no. But the same way they'll probably tell most players to dribble out of that traffic in the paint and reset the offense instead of yeah. the old school. There's a reason Kareem had to develop the sky hook, and it was to get over <laughs> all those trees. That's right. There is a reason. And nobody did it any better than he did. Yeah, no, the little baby hooks, that, that don't count. It's got to be the full sky hook or, or, or nothing. That's, that's, <laughs> that's right. That's that, how it that goes into it. That's a remarkable shot to someone like me who looks at, into the geometry of that shot, the distance of that shot, the location from which it was shot. Uh, one of the hardest areas on the court, that area. Not the three-point area, a little further out. That's, that's as the analytics have proven, that's a pretty good push shot percentage but his area where he took that from that baseline area midway between there and the paint that was a hard shot and boy was he good at it right you had no chance of a rebound if you missed most of your teammates couldn't be in position for a rebound or you didn't have the space to get off the shot Uh, yeah we could break that down all day but (laughs) I don't want to take you too far over an hour. I appreciate you coming on. I'm going to try and get some of this transcribed up or, you know, to get you an article up for Forbes, but also the podcast and all. I'll send some stuff along for that article. Hopefully, we'll get it up next week. Uh, but can you talk about your Vegas Summer League? I know we, we just meet, missed each other out there in Vegas. And if you want yeah. to, this is a Pelicans podcast, maybe give us some insight on what you've seen from the Pelicans. You, you know, I I like, well, I like the kit they got, the, uh, Kyra Lewis, yeah, fun, fun to watch. Uh, he's a talent. Uh, his energy level, his athleticism, um, like I like that a lot. I'm I'm uh, I'm, cons- I'm concerned a little bit about. Well, I'm less concerned because they've got Mike D'Antoni there to help. I think that he's going to try optimize that kind of player and, and he's not the only one on that team as you know that has that, that level of athleticism and ability to move and get around players and attack and finish right he's um, very fast he's very fast yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yes. very high on Kyra Lewis Jr. on the offensive side I think he has the most work to do of anybody on that team on the defensive side to really keep himself on the court yeah uh, I, I, you know I happen to agree with that assessment pretty pretty closely uh, and, and he's probably going to 
yeah, they're probably going to figure out a way to put on a little weight, maybe to him without the risk of slowing him down. But he, he might need that to help him on the defensive side. There was there was a time, and not long ago, and you can correct me on this, where um, the Pelicans were not a, a well-regarded defensive type team. And believe it or not, and then maybe they were close to last place in defense. I'm not sure about that, but I remember not being one of their stronger points. With that being said, if you don't you don't gain any you don't get any points for blocking shots, stealing the ball until somebody else a deflection until somebody else puts what just happened. If you end up with it, that ball into that hoop to collect that point that you earned from the effort that you put forth to get it. But if you can't put it in to the basket after that, then it netted out to, to yield what? A goose egg. So defense in today's game, and, and you know, this, uh, you're talking to, and this is coming across very clearly now, if it hasn't already, you're talking to somebody who says, Offense is the key. Offense is the key. And if you can get players like the the, the, the roster that they they're putting together here, and with Zion and everybody else, my God! And I know they just didn't they just resign um, Willie and uh, uh, DD. Yeah, we got that email while we were speaking. They sent the PR well, message yeah, through I, that they had right. been resigned. So, um, you know, they're they're people already familiar with how things work to some degree there uh they're going to make some adjustments of course but if, if they can maintain a stronger more favored offensive mindset defense it, it's got to just be respectable i hate to say that but that i grew up on that defense wins uh games that defense wins. i grew up on it football you mentioned uh being uh, dual sports sometimes after I was the starting quarterback in high school on a quad A football team out in Western PA we still needed outscore the player to win the, the other team to win we had to outscore them could be by one point but if we did that we won that game and that's true <laughs> defense doesn't give you that it helps to conceal or protect or maintain the lead but you got to score so I'm, I'm excited about the Pelicans in that regard. From what I saw, there's a lot of good, good, talented players uh, that I saw out there on that court in, in Vegas performing. Uh, I like what they were doing there. They're a high-energy type team. Uh, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm become, I've become a fan of theirs you know, because it, of what I saw. There's a reason the NBA's the jump. It, you know, it's a make or miss league. They have all the players say that, and there's also there's only one way to win the game: score more points than the other team. So yeah, yeah you, I see a lot of players maybe playing to so where they don't foul out as much. They don't give as much free points to the other team as free throws, which you know cut down on yes. fouls, cut down on turnovers. Every coach will preach that, but I believe the Pelicans agree with you, and that's why they brought Mike D in. Uh, I got to see him a couple of times at summer league while I was out. I think he's having a ball. He's charmed with this life because he doesn't have the pressure, but he still gets to coach in the setting and help these players out. I think there's a weight off of Mike D that, that you know, it, it, it lingered. It, it took him to New York, you know, even I'm, after I'm New York. I'm glad to hear you say that uh, because there were times when I, I saw him not very long ago through television land, but I, you could see the angst. Well, maybe that's strong, but I could see 
he didn't look comfortable a lot of times. No, it was the, the to me it was the lingering effects of being with the Knicks. Yeah, uh, you know that. So I, I I really am happy for him. I I met him very briefly, long enough to give him my card, and and ask that uh, because of his style of play, I boy would he like some of the stuff, some of the inefficiencies that I've converted to efficiencies possibly and, and take exploit them I mean exploit them to another level if ever that should happen but I also like something that not many people would highlight with the Pelicans they got a guy there who is uh, named Fred Vincent and he he's an asset to that program especially when it comes to trying to get more points up on that scoreboard he look what he's done with Lonzo Ball uh, so he's done he's done some good I mean, he's taken Lonzo a long way <laughs> considering what the starting point was I think Would he did the same thing for Tyreek uh, Evans too that, yes exactly uh, and I, I got a chance I did get a chance to speak to Fred a little bit uh, got probably four or five months ago and uh, I, I like what he was doing you know, he found it interesting what I was doing, and uh, uh, we're both offensive-minded people, and that's probably why he's good at what he's doing, and we'll only get better and better. And uh, I hope at some point I can I can brainwash him a little more each time we speak, <laughs> and and learn from him whatever I can learn from him, because he's 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 been at this a while. Right. I really hope the Pelicans can hold on to him. I know they bumped him up in pay raise and associate head oh, coach good. type stuff. To keep him around, he interviewed for the job. Obviously, Willie Green got it. But it's going to be fun yeah. to watch them together. Uh, being right behind the bench in Vegas for Summer League, you could see that sometimes Willie would step away and let Spoon, let Fred step in and lead the first half of the huddle. And that just speaks to how much ownership and responsibility they're giving these guys, Fred, Spoon, love, and, and, and spreading that, that in the culture. I've come to learn. Chris, I'd love to hear you say that because I've come to learn that that's not the case with every organization. Uh, within, I mean, the inner workings are a whole different matter sometimes, and you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily, I'm by no stretch an insider, uh, and, and to to learn that that's not the way it ought to be, uh, sometimes it is a little disheartening, but that's a reality. I mean, companies run that way too, right? Right, right. Some board of directors, you just got to listen to the chairman is over, overbearing and dominant. But I think we're getting rid of that bully ball coach. Not to say Stan Van Gundy was that, but he was a little bit more domineering, a little bit more dictator style. You can't have that in this game anymore. You know, and that, that I'm glad you said it that way because I, I actually was guarded in this conversation with you. I was trying to remind myself, don't, don't use the word bully. And I, because I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm being harsh. But the, did you notice how they were? The refs were swallowing the whistle a lot with guys coming hard into the during the summer league, coming hard, but I mean, literally knocking the defender on their butt, watching them slide twelve feet beyond the baseline into it's along the floor, uh, and not calling a whistle, not calling. But now some of that I get. You know, they want these kids to be able to play and not get fouled out in the in the games of their lifetime. Uh, with, with the only opportunity they get under these conditions to perform in front of the, that many NBA executives. So I understand that part of it. But man, there was a lot of bullying going on 
during that summer league. Yeah, a lot I, of those games. I had a theory that the first couple games, the refs didn't mind so much. The middle games, they started closing it down. And by that end game, if that was the ref's last game of the day, he already had a tea time or a buffet. He had somewhere to go. If there was a foul, look, we're only calling 20 fouls this game. It doesn't matter. We've got another game after that. Get rid of overtime. Let's go, boys. We're in Vegas, too. Those refs want to enjoy Vegas like everybody else. That's right. That's a good breakdown. Boy, that was a great breakdown of the whole sequence of, of games right there. Now, I want to look at the foul breakdown, foul call breakdown of Summer League games, and I really believe you'll see the last game of the day, there's less fouls called every day. Yeah, I'm going to watch for that. I'm going to watch for that because I I think you're right. I happen to agree with you. Uh, I'm going to make sure I DVR that. (laughs) Yeah. Because I'd like to analyze that. I'm going to pull up some... Oh, I'm going to pull up some box scores, but I want, uh, if everybody wanted to find where they could get some more information on you, some other coaches was in, invested or wanted to invest in their kids and get, get in touch, where could they go? Where can they find you? Where can we spread the word so that more people can, can find your work and really appreciate what you're doing? Well, thank you, Chris Dotson, for giving me that, that opportunity. It's, uh, Roger Gay- they can search Roger Galo, 1L, like Gallo, but 1L, G-A-L-O, or Instagram, Twitter, me. Uh, they can go at Galo Method, RogerGalo.com, and that's those are the best ways to, to reach me to find out more. Gotcha. And what you got coming up? Are you working with any NBA players? Maybe an NBA team going to bring you on? Maybe the Pelicans, you and Fred Vincent can just work together on fixing Zion full-time. What we, what we got coming uh, up? The college season, you got a lot, lot, lot scheduled, or is this pandemic play with you a little bit? This pandemic has really uh, hit the pause button with what was generating some good momentum with some teams and conversations. Had some teams even come in and ask me to get a gym and show them some stuff. And uh, uh, and that pause button hit. And sometimes in that six to eight month period, a lot can happen. A lot, as we as we know, even here with the, a lot of changes can take place. So. Uh, I'm working with a couple of players that are, some of which are being re- going through rehab that I've convinced some of my best training can be done during rehab goes a little against the conventional wisdom you know you, uh, some of some some training when a player has very limited lower downside uh, why not work with them during the season I mean you know, Stephen Adams Forty-four percent from the foul line. I shouldn't probably name him, but really, yeah, it's all right. He's not with the team anymore, and we saw him I, I, trying to shoot yeah, threes I, on Instagram. I'm okay, saying it now because he's not with the team. But you don't want to work with Steve Adams on his foul shooting during the season. Could he possibly? Could he get worse? How much worse could you make him? I mean, if I, if I'm radically that radically different. I have no fear of, of hurting something. I've never had that happen. Frankly, I'm knock on wood. I've never had an experience where I've reduced a player's performance, uh, which, you know, maybe I've just been lucky, but I think the science has a lot to do with that more than anything. Um, but, you hear a lot of players say, I'm going to work on this during the offseason, this during the offseason, yeah. but you never hear of anything during the season. It's more like just maintain the body. Uh, try and get yes. to practice one or two times, you know, if they even have practices. COVID affected that schedule. I think you'll see more practices for this season, more spread out, less back-to-backs. But players are more worried about just maintaining health 
and not building and getting developmental work done during the season. I wonder if we'll see that change a little bit as well. I think that you will. I honestly anticipate you will. And I, I, I think when I get the, the right ears, and analytics people seem to be into this, uh, I, one of them said, Roger, why don't you emphasize some of that about how you do preventative? Some of your training is preventative-based in terms of injuries. And I, I had, frankly, until he said that, I had, you know, and then I'm reminded, wait, they talk about load management all the time. There's a lot of resources being devoted to load management. In Philadelphia, we got Embiid we're worried about, right? Load management. How much can we play him? How much? That three ball? What kind of load management has Steph Curry or Damian Lillard benefited from the way they play the game, shooting that far out? After he releases that ball off either of their fingers, uh, three steps backwards, backpedaling, they're back on deep. How many feet are they going to land down on coming uh, coming back to earth after a three-pointer shot 28 feet out? Only one pair of feet you got to be worried about instead of that group of feeding uh, feet from down and around the basket the closer you get to the basket. So there's there's a lot to be said for the value of that, what, how that game is going to be affected going forward all because of that three ball. I mean, it's incredible. To me, it's, that, that's why it's one of my most exciting, you know, strengths, the three ball and the free ball. And, and I'm of the belief, the strong belief, I'm beyond that. And I didn't mean to um, elongate this conversation, but Chris, should there be a guy who shoots 88% from the foul line be shooting a, a woeful 32% from the three ball? His mechanics are that good from the foul line, but they're that bad. They're they're somehow they disappear, they vanish when he's taking a twenty five foot jump shot. Right, I'm waiting for our first person to flirt with fifty percent from three, which I, I oh, think I, it'll, it'll it's coming. Can, uh, can I share this with you? In 1987, the three ball was introduced to the men's NCAA Division One level then, a lot of years ago, decades ago. The next season, a player from Holy Cross was admitted to the record books because he had taken the, the uh, needed number of attempts. I forget what it was, 150, 200 attempts. Do you know what his shooting percentage was that first year? The, the second year, I'm sorry, the second year of the introduction of the three ball was? I'd be at a loss. 60, 63%. 63%. And the, the reason I, I, I've memorized that and I, I, I relish in it is because with what I've incorporated, that other half of the body, that is conceivable. That is doable. That is real it 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 will happen it, and and the sooner i i won't go there it <laughs> will happen it is i mean think about that how, how long did this guy have now was he was he a, a zach levine kind of three point no probably he was a catch and shoot most likely but wait a second what i just said about shouldn't the gap be much closer if it's that similar to being under that kind of control, 
see in the mechanics of someone's shot that that way out there where you're only guarded by one person and if you're being screened you're not even being guarded why shouldn't you be able to shoot that higher level than what we've come to accept wow look at him he's 42 percent 44 percent from the three ball what well, wait he's taking that kind of shot Kyle Korver was coming off of a screen curling he led the, the NBA at 92. When we first began a discussion, he was leading the NBA in three-point uh, foul shooting. That was back when he was with it, uh, with Atlanta. With, with the Sixers. That, oh, okay. That's how far back that was. And we, we didn't speak, we didn't connect for like just three, four years later. Uh, when, but when, when I introduced a couple of things that he wasn't aware of, which is was a revelation. How much do we really know our own shooting system? Well, after a while, you buy into that mindlessness of repetition, 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 that maybe you're not as familiar with your own shot as one would believe you to be or assume that you would be. And I was guilty of that. I'm the first to admit that. Yeah, reps, it was all about reps. Well, I've come a long way since then. It, there's got to be a mindfulness there. The point is, he went from Chicago when we did meet a little bit went from Chicago to Atlanta, he had his two highest shooting, back-to-back three-point shooting percentage seasons in his NBA career. Kudos to him. I mean, he did most of the work. I did very little. I may have exposed him to it. You know, the inefficiencies, where his guide hand was, blah, 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 blah. But what did he do with that little bit of information? Something very positive. Right, that, that's anything in life. You got to show them the opportunity and the doors open, but they've got to run with it. Yeah, uh, that's right. I kind of want to run with this Lincoln. We were talking about uh, prevention and what you could do during rehab. Maybe an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I'm linking it back to Philly and Markel Fultz and his shoulder. How much could yeah. you do? I, I'm just. I've had five shoulder surgeries myself. I've even had a French procedure done to uh, remount my bicep underneath in the capsule. And that was done at the Olympic Training Center there in Colorado Springs. So that changed my whole basketball world. And I didn't get to shoot oh, a I ball for years. But I'm thinking, how could you maybe uh, correct inefficiencies to, to I guess, negate the chance of getting injured? Not, uh, and then maybe if you're injured like Fultz, could you use some of what you're doing to rebuild both the, the muscle memory of learning how to shoot more efficiently but also build up the core strength in that muscle group. Well, the great question. And it, it's, it, it could entail a very long-winded answer, but I'll take the shortcut route. By incorporating, as I do, uh, now, let's go back to what I said. Uh, it, for all intents and purposes, I've come to the realization that we were taught and continue to be taught to shoot with half our bodies. We're dominant right side if we're right-handed. We're dominant right. If we're left hand, we're dominant left, of course. What if we brought into action the other half of that body? What does that do to the load placed on the, that one dominant side? Does it increase the load? Or would you expect it to decrease the load, the fatigue, the wear? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a rhetorical question almost. You, you would expect it to to lessen the load. And, and by the way, the, the, the people in academia, in sports academia, would be the first to say, you know, if you're doing, when you go lift weights in a weight room, 
do you do a one arm when you're doing a curl? Not, you know, I'm, I'm right. I'm right arm. I'm right handed. I only need to do a bicep curl <laughs> with my right hand. I don't need to do it with my left hand, my left arm. No, you want to balance that out. And so, and that's what I'm saying with regards to, to a lot of, now we're not talking about the feet and you mentioned how that's, it all starts with the feet. Well, are we really sharing the load equally when we come into a staggered stance on an approach into a jump shot or when we're standing at the foul line setting up our foul shot routine most guys are staggered should you be you're predisposing yourself to being lopsided one-sided dominant-sided and that's become the norm well what if you weren't uh quinn but quinn uh, snyder did a seminar at, at the Vegas event we were at, the two of us. He, I attended it, and he's talking about how Mike Con- and I won't give away too much information. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I don't feel I should. But you want to be invited how, back? <laughs> how much? How this one player can shoot from this part of the court extraordinarily well, and that's why we worked so hard to set up plays to get him over in that position. Well, do you think that? one-sided, dominant-sided way we train to become shooters could be benefited if it was shared or trained in a way where he could become equally as effective on the other side of the court as he has become on that side? And what would that do to your program, your, or your, your wins and losses? Would that benefit your team? Or would it harm your team? And, and we're talking about one player that he singled out. And he went on through other players. So, you know, we got to get him this shot in this position. We found that he's got to pick the ball up from the right-hand dribble, not the left. Wait a second. That, holy cow. That's how the analytics has affected the game and how the game's evolving. And you're talking to me who's saying, man, can I affect the analytics? by balancing this out to where I can make player A, player X, equally as good from either side of the court. It's like taking, Chris is great, he's strong right-handed dribble. He can't dribble left. What are you gonna tell your defender? How are you gonna tell him to play him, guard him? (laughs) Take away, right? (laughs) But we're 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 not quite there yet, I hope. I can get that message out there. Shows like this, being a guest on your program like I am, I, I can't express enough gratitude to you because if nothing else, I, I hope it becomes provocative enough to get you to start questioning. You know, maybe maybe there is something else. Maybe this guy has something to offer. He's willing to share it, you know, but, you know, you've got to be, you got to prove, you got to show some interest. Right, and you've you, got to, right. You've got to at least show some interest. You, you can't take that attitude that you know we are where we are because we know more about this than anybody, and we know enough. And to your point, it, you should never feel that way. You should always feel like that there's an open-mindedness out there that allows new information to creep in. Challenge, challenge it any way you like, but challenge it. At least put your, yourself in that position to challenge it. 
if you say, I, I just don't believe it and walk away from it, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice to some degree. Yeah, while you were talking, I actually, I've got a little mini goal hanging up here, and I challenge anybody to do the same. Pick up a ball and act like you're shooting a, a free throw or something. I really felt like I could cut off half of my left hip through the belly button because I, I wasn't, I guess I've noticed I just wasn't using that. And I, to make that from the player to the team, if you find out how to use your whole body as a player, you, you, you're you going to become more efficient and a better shooter. If you kind of find a whole team that can use the whole floor instead of just those oh few God. spots where they're saying, well, I, analytics tells me I have to get the player here or it's going to be worthless, you really, yeah. you're going to get to use all 94 feet of the court instead of just those few spots. Oh, boy, I, from your ears to all of those out there in basketball land, I mean, that's that's just – doesn't that make sense? Isn't that just sound rationale? I mean, I don't yeah, – I hope it doesn't come across as judgmental, but that uh, it's not it's, – unfortunately, the basketball community seems vastly different than the golf community. Man, they're willing to hear – test try so many i mean they're just they're eager they're they they they, they hunger there's a hunger there but it, it, that hasn't been and i'm you know i consider myself a member of that basketball community at whichever level it may be and it's just it's it's a little embarrassing sometimes that no we're you know this is the way we've done it this is the way we're always going to do it or you know you are who and you've done what that's impossible Oh, I know you're going to find it to be impossible, but you want to test it? You want to challenge it? You want to see it? It's not going to take much time or effort. It's going to show up whether to be valuable or not to be valuable very quickly on a basketball court under basketball conditions. I mean, it's not going to. It's, it's not a, a cure for you know the COVID nineteen. That's going to take years. It's basketball. And it's a very simple, it's still a simple game. No matter how it's evolved in how many different areas, it's still putting that ball through that hoop, thank God. And the team that can do that better than the other team is probably going to earn a W. Yep. And it's funny you mentioned golf because I've seen some basketball players here. I've talked with Coach Mike and Coach Rory, Coach Dumas, a bunch of local coaches on just some of the funny forms and the, the way balls will rotate coming out of the hand and the balls rolling top to bottom forward instead of rotating backwards. And they're like, yeah, we try and get them to do this and we try and get them to do that and you just can't get them to try a different way or try this one drill. But if you go look at the golf course, you've got a million and one contraptions out of somebody's backyard to help you find an extra four yards and correct a slice. <laughs> like that, those two communities is way different. And, and I've got to, I'll, I'll be having played both and, and not golf very well, but I've I had to play in my previous corporate life. Um, that has got to be one of the most complex sports to become expert at, or at least just competitive at a high level. That has got to be with all the variables that are out of your control that you've got to try to figure out how to control to some degree to help your game, to improve your score. It's just, and, and here we are in, in an environmentally controlled arena, court, gym, somewhere. Uh, no wind factor, no, no, you know, we're, we're not playing on uh, turf. We're not, the, the, the terrain doesn't change much. And, and we struggle 
to the degree we struggle with shooting, not so much because of those elements, but because of things we've just come to accept as being par for the course. <laughs> no pun intended, but, you know, the, well, you know, he, Sean Barry shoots the way he shoots. Lonzo, Lonzo Ball shoots the way he shoots, and he's always going to shoot that way. It's too late to change him. Anyway. Look what Fred has done with him. He's changed. He's, he's, he's affected him. He's, he's moved the ball from one side of the head to the actual right side of the head for the most part. That is the single most complex shot that anyone could conceive of trying to make work. And, and you know what? It really gets, and, and I didn't mean to get off on this, but I am so disturbed by that sort of situation even being something we're talking about at the level we're talking about it still existing. And it, it's, it's akin to this Ben Simmons thing. How does some... Uh, that's, those are coaches along the way, and I don't care who they are. That somebody should have stepped up, and enough of them should have been stepping up along the way. His growth and development throughout his youth, saying, "Look, just because you're as tall as you are, doesn't mean you can forgive or for, uh, neglect developing a shot." I mean that, uh, and uh, it just gets under my skin. It, it really does because look look at the position you put this young man in, in now and some of it I'm sure is of his own doing to some degree like Paul Smith oh I'm sorry I never God forgive me I, I never addressed the I had an injury suffered from a motorcycle accident to my right sh- shoulder I'm a right hand and I had a very severe five five lungs uh, punctured I'm, I'm sorry a lung punctured five ribs broken blah blah and a clavicle that was completely dislocated two or three inches on my right side and that was my biggest fear would i be able to come back from that and be able to have my full range of motion now with that being said the video i used to watch while we were having these discussions or others on television chris were having these discussions about his challenges it was hard for me to accept that his shooting should continue to be one of those areas that he should struggle with because those thunderous dunk moves that were still being videotaped and put out there how can you make your shoulder move like that if it's that bothersome I mean that was what was going through my mind in more cases than not wait he just showed me a move his arm the way it, it, I can't and yet he can do that that violent emotion and it doesn't seem to impair him at all but when it comes that's what we're we're finding is contributing to his shooting issues I, I had a hard time getting my head around it Chris I mean now you're talking to it as I said a pseudoscientist but the anatomy, the way it was moving and working and functioning in certain areas of those video clips had me completely dumbfounded. I don't, I, I wasn't buying it. I would just, what I was buying was what I came to learn later, what was happening in, and I won't go into this in much detail, but the coaching shooting instruction that was taking place, where it was taking place, had a big impact on what was going on with his lack of performance. 
and and I hate to say it in such a nebulous way, but I don't, you know, I don't want to go any further than that into it. I've, I've, oh no, I know what you mean. I've went through four or five shoulder surgeries, went through seven different physical therapists. There's different ways different people can work with you. Seeing some of faults of what he put out with the shooting and those dunks. I know with my shoulder, if I can, I had certain movements. After three weeks, it felt like okay, I, I've got that back. But if I moved it one degree, either way, yeah. it was just falling apart. And, and I can I can relate to that, Chris, because of my injury. You're right. Yeah, and so I don't want to speculate what Fultz was going through, and it it depends on yeah. training who he trusted, if they were the right person to trust, and it also depends on if you give a hundred percent into it, because if. If yeah. these professional athletes, there's a big difference between 98% bought in and 100% bought in. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that bias has got to be there. If it's not there, you're dead in the water. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you're dead in the water. Yeah, that last I, I, 2% I, I, is what I, I, makes I, them millions. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, and I feel, you know, I felt terrible for him and, and Simmons because these are young men. Their minds aren't fully developed. They've never had to really be fully developed at the rate that we normally develop because they're playing at a game and about to become millionaires and it's all thrust upon them in, in relatively quick order at an age where they're they're not fully de- and not what i'm saying they're not fully that's according to the people who study the brain how it develops and when it develops and, and at what rate it develops and, and that know far more about it than i do but i've come to learn that that the maturity varies and the way you're oftentimes coddled and protected and shielded and told things that you want to hear by some of these gifted athletes like we're talking about that can work again that can kind of retard some of that development I, I probably shouldn't use that stronger word but slow it down or get in the way of it uh, to, to where it can it can work against you and uh, you know that's a lot to be thrust upon somebody at that age Right, and no, I agree with the use of the word. That's exactly what it's there for. And these guys are coming in 18, 19. They're becoming millionaires. Yeah. By the time they're 25 and signing that max extension, I mean, they are, they've got nine, ten figures in the bank. There's no telling. they they really making it. But yeah. they haven't been asked to do everything else to, to manage that money. At 18, 19, you find me an 18 or 19-year-old that tells you they don't know it all, and I'll find you a liar. You find me somebody that's 25 that tells me they they know they've set themselves up right for being 35, and I show you a fool. Like you can't do it. You, you just don't know it. You haven't developed. You, the mind's not there. You can you can look at the brain all you want as a doctor, or you can just look at real life. 18, 19, yeah. 20 year olds. We all know everything except we don't know shit. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's from right. shooting to financial literacy, and that's if you're in the banking sector or the basketball sector. And, and, and you know, at this age, at this age, where I'm at, I, I'm still of that mindset that I still don't know all that I am I'm going to, to know if if I continue to be of that mindset. There's more for me to learn, and, and I'm, I'm excited that there. You know, tomorrow might be another revelation into this. I do a cross training. You, you, remember when that word was a popular crowd cross I'm into cross training. You know, we've we've determined scientists, sports scientists, they've they've all determined that cross training is a big benefit to athletes. I do cross training for shot making. Hmm. You know what? I just can't wait, I just developed that a year ago. Well that's twelve years or thirteen years into the journey. 
that was exciting that I came to that revelation. I've got cross-training sports that try to help facilitate those movements that will help you become a better shooter. <laughs> really? Nobody's done that yet. Uh, and I'm not bragging. It's just like, well, that's an exciting moment for me that I've, I've discovered something that because I was open to it, willing to let something else creep in, or was inspired by something else, uh, or just have the passion that I've got for this, that I, you know, I, I'd like to think I'm not done. There's more for me to learn. Hell, there's stuff I can learn from people that might not even be in basketball, oftentimes. And they add something to my, my value by, by having a, a dialogue, by having an exchange of ideas. And if, I, if I'm open to that, I'm probably going to, I can benefit from it. Benefit, definitely, definitely. We can all benefit from it. One of my favorite podcasts, uh, their, their start is, thank you for wanting to know more today than you did yesterday. And I love that. Love that. Yeah, yeah. I believe it philosophizes this podcast. But we did something where there were some basketball players here in the city. I was trying to do something with soccer, but the basketball players, a few of them got in trouble. So they had to come, you know, they didn't get to go to practice. <laughs> they had to come help me set up. And by the end of practice, I was showing them basketball stuff, you know, three-man weave on a soccer field. They said, oh, well, this is like what we do here. See, I love that. <laughs> they saw it in a different light, and they, they weren't trying to, like, force it down a, a tunnel and trying to yeah. understand it one way, and they took it to somewhere else. And, I mean, they were there to be in trouble. And by the end, they wanted to, you know, help out with soccer and go back into practice and try this new philosophy, new new thing in this different way and it would it worked out for him. it worked out for him. and that, and yeah a great story i love that the basketball coach come out and he started learning some stuff and i think he's going to be the assistant coach to help out because you know in louisiana you've got to help coach two or three sports so so it was interesting there and i love i love hearing people that want to learn using new ways they want to start with a blank slate start with uh, how you do your shooting, you know, from 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 scratch, like no no preconceived notions. Let's just give this a shot. Yeah. Um, to your point, what what one of the things that I discovered probably ten years ago was that if I take the basketball hoop and the court away and sit in a room in a chair with just a ball and sometimes without a ball and start teaching some of the things that I want to impart that my effectiveness in communicating that is better, faster, deeper than me having taken that same amount of time, having gone out on that court, having put a ball in their hands and trying to get them to learn what we just covered up there in that room. It better prepared them to be able to perform at a higher level and faster uh, adopt what changes movements or understand why they were to be adopted in order to benefit them. And that was that was without being on a court shooting ball. Because those those that you use the word muscle memory, when you add a ball, I, I mean I can't tell you I, I can't tell you how many times I've said to somebody, give me the ball, show me your shot. And they want to reach for the ball. And I, I, I kind of, you know, protect it, pull it away from them, keep them from getting it. Say, no, 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 I want you to show me with a, an imaginary ball. 
and what they show me is different than what they show me when I say, oh, oh, okay, wait, I want to videotape that. Show it to me. Videotape it. I give them the ball. Now show me your shot. What they showed me on the two videos don't match up. Yeah, I've seen a couple coaches do that, and it's always amazing to watch the guys nonchalantly shoot the, you know, the imaginary ball. Yeah. And they actually have more form when they actually tense up and you give them the real ball. Yeah. I don't know if you've had that experience. I've seen that a couple times, but I've had it more. Yeah, it's, and 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 it gets. It, remember, one of the revelations I had was I. Some guys, you you, you assume they're that familiar with their shot. Because JJ Reddy, and I don't mean to bring up a, but JJ Reddy, who I know isn't with you anymore. Does is he? Is he? really aware that when he launches upward to go into his jump shot that he turns 90 degrees upon his landing away from the basket and at what moment nanosecond during that turn that twist that transverse movement is he to release at what precise nanosecond and is that a big enough variable that Roger Galo would say, man, if he could only turn 70% or 50%, his reliability factor, his accuracy factor would increase. Well, he might say, I wasn't aware of it. Some people won't even approach him. Why? I don't want to be the one that messes up J.J. Raddick. Hey, he messed himself up two years ago. He 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 went to the tank when he got to New Orleans. His shooting yeah. his shooting dropped off. And, and how much of that was some of the psychological? Yeah, probably. But is the psyche affected by you don't know what it is? Yeah. What, are you fully in tune with your own shot to the degree where you know exactly why you're you're now bad? Like you said, he, wow, boy, did he tank. Did he try to miss shots on purpose? I think that's more than 98% bought in instead of 100%. Like he said he didn't want to be here for the second year. He wanted yeah. to get traded. But, yeah. you know, that that's 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 why that 2% really makes a big difference. Millions Man, of dollars are worth the difference. That's a great, great connection right there. What a great uh, example right there of that little, with that little percent, the impact that can have. Same for the mental on Eric Bledsoe. His shot this year looked different than it did in Milwaukee. It just didn't have the same commitment behind it, I guess. You, you know, I like that word, commitment. And, and uh, the commitment that I seem to get, I connect to the buy-in. And I think the commitment is buttressed by the science. You know, when I'm talking to a 12-year-old, trying to train i don't get into this the rationale the science behind it. it you don't have to oftentimes but when you're talking to a 20 year old 25 year old and, and and you know you get a read on this you know a lot of people don't want to be told all the behind the scenes stuff they just want to go over to the light and switch it hit that switch and let the light come on you don't have to explain how it comes from the panel down in the basement it travels through that you don't have to get in that but there are some adults where you you when you explain what's behind the, the rationale and why it, it should perform better for you that commitment sometimes is buttressed to to it enough to when you're doing it 
regularly throughout the process, it it kind of uh, what's the word organically just grows. That that commitment just gets bigger and bigger and, and flourishes. And that now you're not dealing with, you know, is he buying in? Isn't he buying in? Is he is he going to cling to this? Isn't he? Isn't she? It, 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 so all those little things can come into play but it's nice to have at your disposal that wide vast range the range of things to dwell or pull from to help you in those circumstances because we're dealing with at this level as you've highlighted we're dealing with some personas that are very different than what the norm is out in the real world oftentimes and we've got to figure it out if we're trying to help, if we're truly bent on trying to help them achieve their maximum potential. Makes sense. Makes sense. Hey man, I, I'm so grateful. I really am. You're a great, you're a great host. Your questions, the the insight you've got. I, I mean, it's just you're easy to talk to um, and with, and have a, a real intelligent conversation. You obviously have a great acumen. Um, and it's, it's, uh, uh, your mindset, your attitude, everything just comes across, uh, and it makes it, it just makes it that much easier. Man, I, I really, so you know you, I really appreciate that. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you on this, but you know how coaches talk all about, you know, we're always trying to get put the player in the right position, make it easy for them to perform at their optimal. Well, you, you, you've done that with me, and I, I know I get long in the tooth sometimes, but uh, it, it's really. I've just got so much I want to get out there, and I all, I'm so grateful to anyone who, like you've done, provide me this forum uh, platform to to do to do that. I don't know. I get the tingles talking about ball. I can talk ball all day. I appreciate you coming <laughs> on and getting real in, in, in depth with me. Like uh, these players that'll take your program and give it an open mind. They, they're showing some courage there. They're showing some some faith. And yeah, that, learning about that, just learning about something new is, again, something I'm always trying to do. I, I love hearing new perspectives. Uh, you mentioned to give you a platform. What's some something that maybe you haven't got to get out there, you know, when you get 10, 15-minute spots? I didn't want to take up too much of your time today, but I got another hour we could talk. But what's something you think is maybe underreported, uh, overlooked, uh, just something uh, you'd want to get out there? One of the this this was a revelation or uh, an epiphany. We'll call it whatever you will. Probably two years ago, I came to the conclusion that I grew up my entire basketball life and beyond, my basketball playing life and beyond, because I was still a good recreational ball player, run pickup games and all that into my th- mid thirties, uh, early uh, late thirties. Anyway. I have, I have recognized that we do not have, and this is going to shock those listening, or however way you edit this, we do not have a bona fide aiming system at work to benefit us as shooters in the game of basketball. What do you, what do you mean aiming system? I'm glad you asked that because I, I, you, you spared me from repeating that because it is so 
somebody used the word with me when I shared that with him at Vegas, not very long ago, obviously, uh, a very high-level executive. He goes, my God, that's, that's pretty profound. If, 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 if you're suggesting what it sounds like you're suggesting, which is that, what do you mean? Well, where's the only place where we have a, a some, not a bona fide one, but at least some remnant of an aiming system or device at work. Well, you got the you know you got the backboard and the, and the box behind it, the square. I was just thinking okay. simplistically uh, enough. Right. Your aiming system is you your eyes and the rim. Kudos to you, because Noah said the backboard, or I call it the backboard, it's backboard, um, and the box. Yeah, when I've said it that way to them. Now, kudos to you because that's you're right. That that's a device. Um, the other one takes place at a certain part of any game anywhere in the world and that part takes place when that striped guy that zebra guy blows that whistle and where do we go to the foul line and it, that the audience listening knows they call a lot of different things but there's a nail specifically called a painter's nail but there's a nail or a dot or that mark or whatever they call it where they line up their stance. They base their stance on that device, that nail. Now, that stance can vary, but predominantly, and I'll, I'll, I'll conserv- conservatively say 93, 95% of us in basketball in America we go to find that with our dominant, if we're right-handed, dominant right foot, left-handed, dominant left foot. We put our foot right there at that nail. And that's the center of the basket. Now, where we put the ball may not be in line with that nail or the foot, as, you, as you'll recognize anytime you watch a game. Um, it may be over by the head. It may be to the right of the eye. It may be near the ear. It may be uh, over the head, behind the head. It may be anywhere. But it's not right over the foot. Or you shouldn't your foot into the basket, or you shouldn't that ball that you're holding on to, wherever you moved it to, into the basket. And if you're putting that into the basket, then why, why is it over there? Because right now it's not in the center of the basket. So you've got to come from over there to where? Over to that nail area that's supposed to be in the center of that basket. So are we angularly being trained? I'm taking some liberty here with the English language. Are we angularly being trained how to shoot? I was. Maybe that's why I achieved only a 77% shooting percentage in foul shooting in college I'm 98 I'm 98 now with, with, with hand, handicapping myself I'm still 98 percent yeah I'm trying to picture I'm picturing Larry Bird and Reggie Miller shooting but Bird was always directly over the head that ball might have been over his foot when he released it That's, you, you know what you picked you picked the epitome player the the, uh, the only one that I ever used you picked him out. That's a guy who might have really done that. 
Okay. Yeah, I mean his his old form. It was right. It was right from behind the head over. That's why he had such a high release point. You couldn't block him because the ball was behind his head. And this was not a six foot two inch man. This guy was big. <laughs> yeah, Bird was a good six nine, six ten. Right. Yeah. Um, now, but how many other players? High school, college, pro. How many other players do that? Shot that way? Not very many. <laughs> Larry Bird is the one that probably did it better to that extreme than anybody. That's okay. So now, if that's our aiming system. That nail. How do we line up? Attempt to line up any given field goal, regardless of distance. How do we line that up? Can we? During the context of a game, now the whistle hasn't been blown. You're not shooting an uncontested field goal from anywhere with the game stopping and players watching you. So how do we line up our foot? that we're being trained to line up in the center of our basket and then position our body in just such a way that we know we're going to take that ball from wherever we are, what we, you know, most guys will call it a set point, wherever that set point is of that particular player and drive it over precisely over towards that foot area that we've become trained to try to place without looking down to make sure it's in line in the center of that basket from anywhere else on the court, left side, right side, center, wherever it is, we nobody does that. So it becomes a feel. It becomes a muscle memory. Thing. Oh yeah, well, you know, when you put up repetitions, you get a feel for it. I know. I did it. I did it pretty well. Yeah, there's so many different shooting styles and so many different coaching styles and belief systems that you could almost. You, you say, how do you teach them? That, that it's in, it's an infinite amount of ways you could teach somebody right or wrong, but they could be learning it right or wrong. You know, there's just so many different ways, so many different coaches that'll that'll tell kids. Some will maybe even not even take that much of a, a interest into it and say, well, however you make it, that's your shot. And they won't even. Yeah. That could have even like, going back. That could have been how Lonzo developed his shot, Lamelo. Uh, I do have. I do have two more questions before we before we hit the two hour mark, and one was just uh, you've worked with so many European players, international players, and American players. I wanted to get your insight on: Do you see maybe different structures or principles going into how those those players are learning it as kids going into their teenage years versus how they may approach those changes as a professional? Well, I, I have learned that they they approach the game very differently. They it's it's almost like a yeoman's approach when they're internationally trained it, it's not well I'll dabble almost like a dabbling when they're younger uh, the, the one young man I, I trained from Argentina for example guy as a teenager he was he was going up against Manu Ginobili in club basketball and being taught the highest levels of fundamentals if you will uh, as a you know 13 year old boy we're not usually exposed to that kind of advanced develop, developmental part of the game at that age at least they are they also uh, unfortunately or fortunately arguable either way they they often patterned originally from 
the United States, how we did things. The problem, the, the reality is they've, they've kind of clinged to some of the more fundamentally based elements of that and have made it work, it seemed to be making it work better for them than we were making it work for our own. American ball players. They cook more. Maybe they train more seriously. Maybe they're more devoted to it. Uh, you know, maybe you know, maybe it's a dream that is a stronger dream in some of their minds. But the mechanics, the mechanics aren't all that different. It's the approach, and I think the mechanics aren't all that different because of the obvious. They, they at one time at least, we were the preeminent power. When it came to basketball, now we've lost a lot of ground um, over the last couple of decades, possibly. But at one time, if you wanted to become a ball player, you copied whatever the Americans were doing. Uh, now they, many of them have become so fundamentally strong. And, and by the way, they, they, they've got. It seems like they're exposed to some very good coaching at a younger age. We have, and uh, I can't speak to that too much. But I'm sensing from my experience that the coaches that are affecting those kids at a young age aren't necessarily volunteer parents, you know, parents volunteering, Chris, uh, to coach that that 12-year-old player, that that fourth-grade team, that fifth. They may really be more uh, credentialed as coaches or know more at that level when they are volunteering, if they're still volunteering. Does that make sense in some way? I know. It makes sense. And I know some people take issue with saying the USA lost ground. They think the international teams have just made up that much ground. But I agree with you in that we've lost ground so much in that their basketball is modeled after their soccer. They're in it for a developmental purpose. The Americas, we do not have a developmental structure. We have a college structure, but that's that's not developmental. That's just, you know, you're going to find talent. If we had a proper G League and a proper AAA, AA kind of thing where you, you would have Luca at 16 also playing, you know, an, an American Luca could leave and go to, the say, the Dallas Mavs Academy and then play against the G League teams and others. I, I think the international community has gained a lot of ground because they take that grassroots approach and they teach it the right way instead of the American approach where it's, you know, talent will get you by. Look at Lonzo. Talent will get you by with any shot. You will get to UCLA. Yeah. You will have yeah. to fix a lot of things to get past that, or you're just going to be a journeyman in the NBA. And that's, that's that's what he's living. That's wonderfully explained, and I concur with everything you've said. And and that that kind of continuity, I think, exists over there, and it's too disjointed over here. And and. There's a lot of advantage to having that kind of training where it's being kind of buttressed along the way, like a farm system. Over here, you go from one program to another program, and all of a sudden you've got somebody changing what might have been very sound fundamentally to what is anything but that. And then they go from that coach to another, and then that all that interference or miscommunication or confusion is playing on these youngsters, and it's not even permitted over there to 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 interfere. It's not even permitted because of the the the, 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 the nurturing process and the farm system, if you will, that they've they've provided to benefit that player. 
that developmental that is taken is really taken far more seriously, I think, than we have taken it. Uh, is the AAU program in, in international ball the same kind of AAU type program that we have in in America here? No, not I, not I not even close. I, they I have U18s, U23s. <laughs> I, I truly believe that's why the European game's getting better is because they're, they're investing in players they know won't make the first team. Here in America, you know, you, your first-round draft pick and you bust, you might wind up like Anthony Bennett being the Dominican Republic. No one has any investment in you. There, they invest in those kids in a way that even if Real Madrid develops a kid and he's 18, 19, 20 years old and he's not really ever going to be a starter on their team, they've still invested all that development money into him. Those those players still see it as a global game, so they'll take that contract transfer to a Russian league and, and keep developing. Where an American kid, I know a lot of them that don't dream outside of America because they just want to make the league. Same for NFL. You know, it's yeah. NFL or bust. They don't even see yeah. the CFL. I think American That's kids a very good point. that that gap between the good and not so good, or the great not so good, the good in the middle, gets kind of squeezed out. And, you know, even along that that path or that journey that they take, if if at the end of it all it doesn't pan out the way that they would have liked it to pan out, along the way they've gained so much valuable experience and training that they, they oftentimes resort to what? Becoming coaches, becoming trainers, become, try to pass that on. And, and that's, that's a wonderful thing byproduct of that if that's what happens and that's what I believe typically happens more than here and 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 the devotion of time the amount of time the percentage of time spent on development versus the the, the AAU season the number of games the showcases the is so different there's so much more time devoted to development across the seas than here. I mean, I, I've trained players that, that I've, I've had to tell parents, look, I don't want to train him. It's not that I don't want to, but I don't want to train him because he's 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 got two NAAU programs he's signed up. He's not going to have time to practice any of this. You can't practice this stuff when you're changing somebody's shot during a season of game playing. That's the worst time. I mean, if, uh, no, if you're telling me he takes two shots, jump shots, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm open to rethinking that because I believe that. If, if, if we've got a player that you want me to train and he always takes two jump shots each game, but he's playing 100 games during the season, then yeah, he, he's a candidate to be forced to it. Because I'll urge him to drive. I'll urge him to, to highlight his other. But in the meantime, let's make good use of this time because you need to develop a jump shot. And it's not going to hurt you at all because you don't take jump shots. And that, that goes back to the courage of just whatever it is in this life for these kids. Try new things. Try things that you don't know about, things that you don't think you're going to be good at. Try it. It'll, it'll give you yeah. a little bit of courage, humbleness, knowledge, information. And you, you can build anything from that knowledge base. But if you don't ever try it and you don't know it, you can't do much with it. Amen. I mean, amen to that. That's that's good advice to impart out there. Uh, well, and I believe in it wholeheartedly. Man, I, I believe this has been one of the best podcasts I've ever done. I, again, want to oh, well, thank you so much for coming on. 
we are going up on like the two hour mark and past that most people will tune out i i really would love to have you back once once we get out of this pandemic and you can explain more of what you what you've been doing how you've been getting out That's there right. and, and welcome back welcome it up man like you wouldn't believe well hey uh again thanks so much one more time if you want to tell the people where they can find you and yeah i'll start getting this shaped up edited and and get you a draft over to see what we can get not only published on the podcast side but for the forbes side thank you chris it's uh search for roger galo uh, g-a-l-o or at galo method uh look me up on rogergalo.com and that that will get them in touch or find out more about me and of course tune into podcasts like these because there's so much you're doing a great job disseminating a lot of valuable stuff uh, at, at every level I'm sure because I can tell that from your the way you you conduct yourself the way you you you, you the homework you've done behind prior to this and all that I'm, I'm grateful and I appreciate you doing it Chris hey man I'm grateful for y'all coming on it's been a very much a learning experience for me these last six months trying to get this podcast started with the coaches had some stuff with the NBA executive directors of the NBA foundation and that's the only way I'd, I I guess I'd know how to stay in the game research as much as I can and pretend to not know as much as you know that those 18 and 19 year olds we were talking about earlier just ask questions and try and learn <laughs> that's right. and that that's been my especially over the past two years I, I wasn't writing about basketball really until I went to Sports Illustrated fan sided with Pelican Debrief and come over to Forbes I was nothing but politics and soccer so learning oh, the really? politics and wow. the dynamics behind basketball which you know I played I love the game but I never got into it in depth. I'd never been to a college practice except, you know, watching those practices while I was at soccer practice at college. Those sorts of things. So to get in depth and to see how much more the game is developing, how much further people can take it from being the third highest scorer in college to now being a shot doctor for the pros, the Harlem Globetrotters, Duke, women, all that. The way you can stay in this game is just to stay in the game, keep learning, and keep networking so the more you can teach me the better that i mean i feel so much more rewarded out of this than than maybe it's wrong to say but than i ever expected uh, from, from when I we first connected i didn't know quite what to expect did a little bit of research uh you know sent you an email not to give too much to the fans had a few things to go over and now we're we're two hours into it and i feel like I, we, we could both buy a beer and, and talk another two hours <laughs> Sure we could. So guys, I'm sure we could. Yeah, I, I will definitely have Someday you on again. Maybe we will do that. Who knows? <laughs> if you get down in New Orleans, that's right. I know they. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm feeling a, a draw there. You know, oh I yeah. I said that with a couple of West Coast teams. I'm feeling a, I'm being drawn certain places, and uh, uh, I trained a player how, how to go up against Stephen Adams when he was at Pitt. That I assumed Pitt. Well, I shouldn't. I assumed they would be doing for him with him to prepare him uh but being a dynamicist i've come to learn that uh uh sometimes we assume too much you, you know we assume too much and and it's better to not assume and just go in and and experience it whatever it is you're experiencing and then come away from it and, and come to some conclusions or observations or whatever it is uh you know un, un, no predispositions whatsoever uh but it was it's been eye-opening for me the journey and I, I i tend to be surprised every now and again and like i said i uh 
talking to somebody like you, man, I know there's, there's stuff to be gleaned from you, having had the experiences, the way you're allowing them, you yourself to be a part of them is going to make you that much richer as a person. So, man, anytime, anytime at all, I'm up for it. Man, you call I'll, upon me anytime at all. I'll definitely reach out to you, and when you get to New Orleans, we'll show you some good, uh, good eating spots. Oh yeah, I, I love food. <laughs> all right, and well, I know that's a mecca there. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, thank you. Uh, again, I'll reach out. Appreciate you so much, and yeah, until next time. I look forward to it. Bye-bye. Stay Bye. healthy.